So let's talk about the bus ride from the hotel to the studio. Because that's the first time that I met my husband. So how did we first meet? I was able to uh, set aside a day to come in to watch the second day of the Tournament of Champions that was taping. We first met at our audition. I was there early. And I was there very late. (laughs) When most people think about being on Jeopardy, they might think of the glory of gracing the Alex Trebek stage, of completing a lifelong goal, of showcasing their knowledge to a national audience, and of course, bringing home lots of money while they're at it. But for a few people, the show brought something, or should I say someone, unexpected into their lives. That was certainly the case for one of my all-time favorite Jeopardy! champions, Eddie Tamanis. I was a member of a, you know, kind of game show fan discussion group where, you know, we just talked about game show minutiae, that kind of thing. After Eddie's five-game streak in 1999, he met someone named Kelly on that very discussion board. She was a teacher uh, living in Rochester, Minnesota at the time. And she'd kind of signed on to the group, you know, kind of looking for ideas. Kelly was also a big game show fan, and she figured that using Jeopardy-like material in the classroom would keep her students engaged. She posted to the forum asking for help. I sent something to the group, you know, just kind of, hey, here's the word of the day. It's whammy. How fun is that? There was a post that fit with what we were teaching. It was how the word whammy grew and got into American English. And later I told Eddie, thank you for posting that. I used that in my class today, and it was really kind of cool. I was still single at the time, so like, ooh, an email from a girl. Girl, girl. The two struck up a correspondence, and later that year, when Kelly planned a trip to Virginia to visit a friend, Eddie suggested a dinner date to meet up in person. We ate at RTC Food Kitchen, which was not far from my home there in Arlington, near the courthouse metro. That restaurant doesn't exist anymore, sadly, but I had pecan-crusted halibut. (laughs) Kelly had the shrimp Diane. We just started talking, and it was like we'd known each other for a very long time, and we just sat and talked and talked. We went out for a little walk uh, around my neighborhood. It was summertime, so it was a nice evening. It was a very special night. I walked home and said, I think my life has just changed. (laughs) It was kind of walking on air. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, we take a look at the surprising ways that America's favorite quiz show can bring people together. It's Love Stories, on and off Stage 10. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. 
Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. When I took you along with me to quiz night at O'Brien's, you saw just how much two Jeopardy players can have in common just by being a part of the Jeopardy universe. People who love knowing, well, everything, seem to love spending time together. But once I started diving into the show's history with our producers, we noticed pretty quickly that for some, Jeopardy was more than just a way to make friends. It was a love connection. Here's Danielle Stillman, who played in season 32. Um, I had staked out a really great seat in the back where nobody was sitting next to me. And then some guy burst through the doors. She's talking about Lincoln Hamilton, who also played in season 32. I took the only seat available next to me, which happened to be next to this cute redhead. That audition led to being on the show, but more importantly than that, the the one person that is my soulmate who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Danielle and Lincoln got married in October of 2022. It's pretty crazy that sometimes we just sit and look at each other and it's like, I shouldn't even know who you are. (laughs) And we have a mortgage together. For other contestants, that spark didn't come until later, sometimes weeks or even months after tape day, like Katherine Hofstetter. In 2012, Katherine was a high school teacher in Plano, Texas. She competed in the teacher's tournament that year. After the last day of taping, quite a few of us became friends on social media uh, between the time that we taped and the time that our episodes aired. Afterward, Katherine kept in touch with Justin, who was a sixth grade social studies teacher from Kansas City. I think there was a period where we just talked every day for a good two, three months. Justin and Catherine got married in January of 2015. It's been kind of a wild ride. I I forget sometimes that we have this backstory. Uh, It's great when you meet new people because you always have something interesting, you know, to be like, oh, guess what? I met my husband on Jeopardy! And it opens up lots of fun conversations, that's for sure. Everything that's good about my life right now is because of the fact that I got invited to that teacher's tournament. I do not recommend it as as an approach to dating, but it certainly worked out for us. Jeopardy! is not a dating app, nor is it a dating show. And for many contestants, romance might be the last thing on their minds when they're getting ready to compete. It was a pretty interesting transitional time for me because I was moving for my graduate program. And in fact, when I had taped the Tournament of Champions, all of my stuff was still in boxes. That's Alan Lin, who I faced off against in the 2017 Tournament of Champions, considered by many to be the greatest Tournament of Champions with the greatest champion, that's me, but I digress. Little did Alan know during our games, Cliff Gallagher, a Jeopardy! champion in his own right, had been in the audience. And Alan's playing and prowess definitely impressed Cliff. I came in and watched the semifinals and the finals, and I watched one Mr. Alan Lin win his semifinal game and then play in the finals. This monster of little minds. Alan. What is a hobgoblin? You are right. Monster Mash 1000. The artwork here depicts Behemoth and this aquatic monster also mentioned in the Bible. Alan. What is Leviathan? That's right. I took home the title of champion that day, but Alan, he won in maybe a bigger way. 
after our taping, uh, the local Jeopardy community invited uh, all of us out to have a celebratory dinner. We uh, went down the street to a nice Italian restaurant, and uh, that's where I met Cliff for the first time. We started talking about the games and our own Jeopardy experiences, but quickly it really branched out to our other interests, um, to board games. That's right. And uh, I had just purchased a new house, and so that became a place where uh, a lot of us would kind of gather to play board games. Yeah, we started playing every, you know, once or twice a month. And at one point, you got Gloomhaven, the long-term <laughs> campaign game. Yeah, that it took, our... took more than a year to yeah, finish. But that's how we started to all grow closer and how you and I started to go closer. We became friends first, and then right, we yeah. just became more than friends over <laughs> the course of many trips out to the Inland Empire. Cliff had also invited me out to uh, the O'Brien's pub quiz uh, out in Santa Monica, which is the pub quiz full of Jeopardy regulars. And it was just a wonderful uh, kind of falling into friendship, and then it's more than that. Q Tupac's California Love. But in the history of America's favorite quiz show, only one set of Jeopardy sweethearts has taken their love and their love of Jeopardy back to stage 10. I'm Dan Melia. I'm a retired Berkeley professor. My name's Dara Hellman, and my connection to Jeopardy is Dan. <laughs> Dan and Dara had been dating since before Dan went on Jeopardy in the mid-90s. They always knew they wanted a non-traditional wedding. We were talking about getting married, and we are kind of torn between a drive through Elvis Chapel in Reno and the National Cathedral. <laughs> on a whim, Dara suggested they get married on the Jeopardy set. I think you thought it was a joke. Sort of. Uh, a little bit. And I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> and uh, so... I asked the producers about that. Uh, I sent them an email, and I think it was Maggie Speak then, got right back to me and said, I can't even talk to you about this until the tournament airs. By the way, Dan was actually competing in the Tournament of Champions at the time he started planning for the wedding. Talk about multitasking. The minute the tournament aired, I got a note from, I think, Harry Friedman saying, yeah, when do you want to do it? You know, neither of us had ever experienced a wedding on a television set before or anything like that. So we just kind of said, let's just go with it. On their wedding day, Dan and Dara stood in front of the contestant lecterns while Bob Harris, Dan's former Jeopardy rival turned friend turned wedding officiant, stood in front of Alex's lectern to preside over the ceremony. Friends and family fanned out around the stage, and a bunch of Jeopardy staffers were there too because... This all went down after a tape day. They had a reception. The catering came in. Um, uh, we had champagne. Everyone stayed. The makeup people, the hair people. Alex Trebek was our witness. I think to this day, the Alameda County uh, Registrar thinks that we made it up and just wrote in anybody's name on, on our wedding certificate <laughs> because, you know, it says Alex Trebek. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. He about was, that. yeah. They made us a, a Jeopardy board um, of, you know, wedding-themed questions, and do you and do you was one of the Jeopardy questions. And so, you know, we both said, what is I do? 
<laughs> so again, I'm still not sure if we're actually married because of that, but um, you know, we signed the certificate, so I'm pretty sure it, it worked. The entire crew was there, the mm-hmm. sound guys, the camera guys, and even the, the directors and the people mm-hmm. who set up the board and stuff who have to actually be there when this is going on. And I don't know, I hope they got a piece of cake <laughs> later. At least. Dan and Dara first got together in October 1994. They've been together almost 29 years, 18 of those as a married couple. After the break, a little competition and a little chemistry. We hear from so many interesting people on this podcast about their love for learning. What if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? You can with Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best for just $10 a month. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. Confidently navigate the media with the influential intellectual Noam Chomsky. Use science to solve your problems with Bill Nye. Or learn from the past with Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. I personally enjoy James Clear's class that is helping me build smarter habits to help tackle daily challenges. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com jeopardy. That's 15% off at masterclass.com jeopardy. Masterclass.com jeopardy. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. If we had done it Watson style, where we got to play against each other five times in a row, I think it would have been three to two, and I don't know who would have been the three and who would have been the two. Stacey Braverman and Reese Cloyd met in 2010 at a Jeopardy! contestant audition in Washington, D.C., where Reese was living at the time. Here's Reese. At the audition, one of the questions that the coordinators asked us to sort of loosen up the group, keep us from all being totally nervous nerds, which we all were, was who had come the furthest. And one of the women in the room raised her hand and said that she had come from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where she had just finished law school. Stacy was slim, wearing glasses, her brown hair in a pixie cut. And when she then announced to the group that she was moving to D.C., Reese's ears perked up. As an alum of the University of Michigan, I was intrigued to meet someone else who was also a Michigan grad. And then the fact that she was going to be moving to D.C. in a few months was also interesting. Reese was involved in the University of Michigan alumni chapter in D.C., so she said to Stacy, Hey, when you move to D.C., get in touch with me. Maybe we can do some of the alumni club events together. And you ghosted. What happened? <laughs> 
Well, I studied for and took the bar exam. I packed up my whole life in Michigan and moved to D.C. I started a new job. I got a cat. Um, I was dating somebody else and just kind of living my life, figuring myself out. So this wasn't exactly what you'd call a meet-cute, but several months later, Reese and Stacy would have the opportunity to meet again this time as competitors on the Jeopardy stage. At that time, Reese went by her first name, Emily. This is Jeopardy. Introducing today's contestants, a climate scientist originally from Troy, Michigan, Emily Floyd, a public interest lawyer from Washington, D.C., Stacy Braverman, and our returning champion, a high school chemistry teacher, at the start of the game, Reese was in her element. I remember getting up there and feeling really confident and then realized that I was getting totally outbuzzed by the person at the podium next to me who happened to be Stacy. She was really great. Joy of Cooking calls it classic Mexican avocado relish. Stacy. What is guacamole? Yes. Buzz in for 200, please. Using electric clippers to trim your hair down to the scalp results in one of these. Stacy. What is a buzz cut? That's it. Buzz for four. As they headed into the first commercial break, the returning champion, Manny Maldonado III, was in the lead. But by the end of the Jeopardy round, Stacy was edging him out. During Double Jeopardy, Stacy was on a roll, but the game took a brief pause when the producers had to stop tape to swap out one of the clues. This happens occasionally, and it's the reason that Jeopardy writers create an extra clue for every category, just in case. It was during that point, while they'd stopped it and I had a moment to catch my breath and look around, that I realized that there was a locked game. That no matter how the last couple of questions went, unless I wagered very badly, I was going to win. And that was very exciting. Reese, standing to Stacy's left, also realized what was about to happen. I turned over to her and I saw this just really, what I would say is sort of a secret smile. She wasn't looking at anyone else. She was just taking it all in that she had gotten on the show and it was a runaway game and she knew she was going to win. And it was just a moment of pure joy that I was witnessing from her. Stacy didn't get final Jeopardy. Actually, no one did. But she still took home $14,984. And with a clever and modest wager, she became a Jeopardy champion. Let's go to Stacy now. Stacy Braverman had 15000 And did she come up with... No, Admiral Farragut instead. You had to think about the wars abroad and Admiral Nelson. Nelson, it's going to cost you how much? $16. Oh, you sly fox. $14,984 if you become the new Jeopardy champion. Well done, young lady. A lot of adrenaline was going through my body. I felt really happy and excited, and then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do this again in like five minutes. The win was a dream come true for Stacy, and although Reese finished in third place, playing on that stage still felt like a huge accomplishment. I can't really say I have any regrets. I think it was 
a really fun experience. And as Stacy has told me several times, had things gone the other way and I had bested her in the game, she may not have been as gracious a loser as I was because I'm the one who came up to her and suggested that we go forward with a joint viewing party. Here's Stacy. We went to a bar and invited everybody. And I didn't tell my family how it had gone, but I know that you told yours. Yes, I told my parents because my parents are able to keep a secret. Everyone who is in the D.C. area came to the viewing party. My parents, my little brother, a bunch of our friends. There might have been a little friendly rivalry going on with who people were cheering for. But not between Stacy and Reese. After the viewing party, we became Facebook friends. And one day I put out, hey, I'm going to go strawberry picking. You commented and said, hey, that sounds like fun. I'd like to go. And we drove out to the farm and picked a lot of strawberries. I had a really good time. I just remember thinking, I'm enjoying hanging out with this girl. I am not very good at asking people out. And so I was just trying to telegraph to you, like, hey, I like you. I think that you had asked if I wanted to go to Opera in the Outfield, which is a simulcast of an opera performance from the Kennedy Center on the big screen at the local baseball stadium. And I said, I would like to go and maybe I'd be interested in going as more than friends if that was of interest to you. It was something like that. When I got that email from you, I was so excited. And I wrote back pretty much as soon as I saw the email to say, yes, absolutely. I would like to go out with you on a date and not just as friends. After many more non-friend dates and 11 years of marriage, Reese and Stacy look back on their Jeopardy origin story as a fun nod to the life they're building together. Creative, curious, and full of surprises. We'll be right back. Stay with us. While there have been many Jeopardy romances over the years, there's another kind of quiz show love that shines bright on stage 10, and that's the love that viewers feel for certain contestants, like Cindy Stowell. Here are today's contestants, a science content developer from Austin, Texas, Cindy Stowell. It was 2016 when Cindy made her first appearance on Jeopardy. But the story of how she got there wasn't an easy one. Hi, my name's Jason Hess, and I was Cindy Stowell's partner through her run on Jeopardy. Jason and Cindy first met in their sophomore year of college at Virginia Tech. We ended up kind of randomly in a co-ed dorm. We were 19 years old. We immediately clicked and we were kind of Simpatico from day one and, and just had, had the greatest time together. They were both studying chemical engineering. She was a little shy, but was pretty adorable. She was uh, very witty and funny, and I don't know, I was immediately hooked. Jason and Cindy dated throughout college, and after graduating, they decided to move to Austin. In our 
your adult life. You know, Jeopardy was a kind of a routine and a ritual. It was something that we watched together every night. You know, I think for for her and, you know, honestly for me and lots of people I know, it was something that seemed like it would be something that would be fun to do someday. Jeopardy was always in the back of their minds, but in the interim, they were very happy to explore the local trivia scene. One night we said, hey, let's go check it out. And we went in and <laughs> did did very well on our first night. And, and it became a certainly once or twice a week, almost every week, maybe as many as five or six times on the, <laughs> a week at our, at our craziest. Jason remembers it as a great and stable period of time in their lives. But in March 2015, their world changed dramatically. Cindy had been, had been dealing with some weird discomfort. And, and so they did a scan and found, found a mass. They did a biopsy of what they found and came back with, it was already stage three colon cancer and it had already spread to lymph nodes. The next year and a half meant a succession of surgeries and treatments. And Jason was by her side through it all. You know, you get a piece of bad news and and we would, you know, cry together. And, and then the next day she was, you know, setting up the next round of appointments and trying to figure out what was next. She wanted to live and, you know, was going to keep trying until, until she couldn't, until she couldn't anymore. In all the chaos and emotional turmoil of the year that followed her diagnosis, Cindy got an unexpected call. It was the Jeopardy! contestant department letting her know that she'd been selected for an in-person audition. You know, the, the online test was just something we, we yeah, oh, look, the, another year has gone by, sure, let's, let's take it again. But they hadn't put much stock in it. And with Cindy's cancer diagnosis, they nearly forgot about it. I think our mindset at the time was, you know, we need something fun. <laughs> you know, this is the, you know, if anything else, I think it was a break from kind of the ongoing dread of the whole situation. But I think at the same time, you know, she felt like she had a responsibility to to check in with, with the production team because she had the distinct sense that there was a chance that, you know, she would not make it to the end of her contestant window. For most Jeopardy! hopefuls, once you try out for the show and get into the contestant pool, you can usually expect to get a call back within an 18-month period. Former contestant producer Maggie Speak remembers when Cindy first reached out. We got a letter from a young woman who was invited to an in-person audition explaining to us that she had cancer and was given only a few months to live, and if it wasn't possible for her to make it onto the show in that period of time that she'd like to give her audition to somebody else. Even though Cindy was ready to give up her spot, Maggie told Cindy to keep it. So Cindy made it to the audition and she played incredibly well. Soon after, she received an invitation to compete on the Jeopardy stage. There was sort of a moment of consideration of, do we want to do it? Is this something that that you can handle? But she really did not hesitate really for long. This was kind of a piece of good news to, to hang on to and, and kind of this light shining through the clouds where it was, you know, I think she was like, absolutely, I want to do this. So she did it. Sydney Stoll is from Austin, Texas, and this young lady enjoys viewing really bad 
movies. Give me some examples. Oh, well, um, in college, a friend of mine started a club where we rented out a lecture hall and a projector and, and a, a classroom, and we watched such delights as the Transformers cartoon movie is pretty bad. You Got Served, also really bad. I mean, there are movies, though, that you can talk through during and, and kind of share the misery with others. So. Oh, good. That's a great way to socialize, isn't it? On Cindy's first tape day, she was bantering with Alex and clearing categories. But she was also dealing with challenges far beyond those that came with a typical contestant experience. She was in the early phases of what turned out to be a blood infection. And she had had several surgeries, not to mention the the cancer itself. She was in a fair amount of pain, kind of as just a constant low-level thing. Cindy was on medication, but she would get spikes of fever in the middle of a game. There was a game on that first tape day, maybe game three or something, where she spiked a a pretty high fever and was, you know, when they went up to makeup between the breaks, she was clammy and she was starting to perspire. But she'd get right back out there. No Stanley cameo for 1200. And so there, the daily double. I'm going to chicken out on bet 4,000. That's all right. Here is your clue. The Ruskies invaded the U.S. in this Swayze flick. And despite the cries for Wolverines, neither Logan nor Stan showed. What is Red Dawn? That's the movie. Way to go. At the time, you know, I could tell she was dealing with stuff, but then she was still fighting through it and playing really well. And so it was, I, I, I think it, I, I didn't really process until afterwards, like looking back kind of the enormity of what she had done. It's such a tough game and a game of reflexes and everything else. And it's really is kind of crazy to think of how well she did kind of under, under those conditions. We are dealing with city names and here is your clue players. Cuba's second most populous city and a South American capital share this name that refers to St. James. You have 30 seconds. Good luck. We come to you in the middle, Garrett. You had 2,800, an up and down kind of game for you. And you wrote down Asuncion, which is incorrect. And that will cost you, therefore, $1,000 only. Now let's go to our returning champion, Tim Ayton. He's won seven times in a row, over $107,000. He also came up with Asuncion. And what did he risk? A modest risk, as usual, $3,600 only, leaving him with $7,800. So it's up to Cindy Stowell. And she came up with Santiago, the Spanish name for St. James. Did you risk a little or a lot? A lot. Way to go. 22,801 for the new Jeopardy! champion, Cindy Stowell. You'll see her again tomorrow at this lectern. Join us then, folks. So long. By the end of her first tape day, Cindy had won four consecutive games of Jeopardy! After that, she went home for a full week before the next tape day. 
the week in between after we got back and the next taping, she was in the hospital for most of that week for what turned out to be sepsis, yeah, blood poisoning, and got out of the hospital, I believe, that weekend. And then that Monday, we were flying back to LA to, to, go, to go be on Jeopardy again. It was just, I, it felt like it was just this surreal kind of uh, experience. Cindy came back for a second tape day and won two more games. She was a six-day champ. She lost in her seventh game and went home to Austin. I think the Jeopardy staff were aware that things were going downhill. And so they found a, a loophole in the process, FedExed a DVD with her first three episodes to us in the hospital. And so we were able to play her episodes you know, on a laptop. The hospital and the treatment center we were working with they basically said, it's time to start thinking about hospice care. We decided to do in-home hospice. They had kind of wheeled in a hospital bed in place of our sofa for the last couple of days. On December 5th, 2016, Cindy Stoll passed away from stage four colon cancer. She passed, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, three or four in the morning. The finality of it, you know, really kind of hit and, you know, obviously was... Obviously, very, very sad. But it also dawned on Jason that Cindy's last few months had been pretty extraordinary. Everything about that experience, you know, kind of had a had a touch of magic. But I think in the larger picture, it really gave her, you know, a legacy. I think she, you know, would have. You wanted wanted people to remember her as a kind, caring person that was able to kind of do the best under really trying circumstances. And her medical journey did not did not work out for her, but she never gave up, and she did the best with the the hand that she was dealt. Next time on This is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. There are, I guess, a couple of times when I started to introduce him on the show, I wasn't sure he was going to come out on stage. I really didn't know. This is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Mia Warren and Sylvie Lubau. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Susanya Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kolosny. Our theme song was composed by Hannes Brown, Cedric Wilson is our engineer. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all of their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>